Welcome to the Recovery Lifestyle Podcast, a Christ-centered recovery show where we discuss the habits, mindsets, and tools that will help you live the recovery lifestyle. We believe that if you regularly do the work by reading the Word, showing up at recovery meetings, getting engaged at your local church, and giving back through service, that you will build a stronger relationship with Jesus and experience the freedom that comes from lasting sobriety. Please join myself, Chris Decker, and my co-host, John Rizzi, as we serve as your virtual recovery coaches through Season 2, featuring monthly recovery challenges, inspiring testimonies, expert guest teachings, and the raw, real-time recovery journey that we go through each and every day. To help us reach more people, please subscribe and leave a review. And for now, enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, this is Chris, your co-host for the Recovery Lifestyle Podcast. I'm joined here in studio by John. And today we are so excited to let you know about our launch plans for Season 2 of the Recovery Lifestyle Podcast. We're going to go over our goals for the season, a 10-month challenge, an exploratory journey that we're going to go together through. We're going to introduce a new level of of challenge. We're going to grow together. John and I are going to be your coaches. So without further ado, let's jump in from the top. Chris, how you doing? You know what? Is it, is it, is it okay to be excited and scared of this at the same time? <laughs> I think that's the perfect level of discomfort. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I I am excited because I think that the, the topic of intimacy anorexia, you know, we know from experience has been popular with uh, season one, and we spent a lot of time talking about it. But now we're going to take it to another level, right, with these challenges. And I tell you what, man, just the thought of some of these challenges, uh, it, it it's it's going to be challenging. Well, I'm going to pull up some of the numbers actually from season one. And I, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to just share on the air here um, the, the, the podcast here. So all time, um, from a downloads perspective, we've had 2,118 downloads. Wow. Thank you, guys. And by far, our number one topic uh, was intimacy anorexia and our part one in that series has been downloaded over 220 times part two 135 times part three 105 part four 87 and so without a shadow of a doubt it has been one of our most popular topics Um, some other important stats here is that um, there have been 1005 unique listeners for this show 1,000 people have taken that first step of faith and recovery and have listened to an episode of The Recovery Lifestyle. Whether they were searching for a specific topic or looking for another virtual meeting to attend, looking for some encouragement, looking for um, something to to help keep them accountable, 1,000 people have now um, have now come across The Recovery Lifestyle, and I'm so grateful 
for everyone oh, yeah. that has that has been a part of this so far. Right. Yeah. I say welcome and thank you and and join the conversation. I mean, this is our uh, way of listening to the to the listeners by seeing that you know intimacy anorexia is an important topic to people and. Uh, I think part of that we've talked about, right? I think part of that is because it is a real bear. Uh, and when we talk about those 10 characteristics, people can relate to, if not a few of them, well, if not all of them, at least a few of them, right? And this is something that's really, really hard to stay sober from. Uh, I think it's a lifelong challenge and, and uh, it's a struggle for me. Uh, and I think it's a struggle for Chris. And I know it's a struggle for a lot of the guys with, when I hear them sharing, even when they aren't aware of what intimacy anorexia is, they'll still share these characteristics of it because this is something that is hard. It's it's about, you know, letting go of what people think about us and, and being vulnerable, especially to our spouses and being able to, to, to grow closer in an intimate relationship. So just want to give credit where credit is due. Um, intimacy anorexia... Um, is a term coined by Dr. Doug Weiss, and um, he calls it the hidden addiction. Yeah. And intimacy anorexia is a hidden addiction. This is right from their website, intimacyanorexia.com. The way intimacy anorexia presents in relationships and marriages is often not readily apparent, and the signs and symptoms can also be confused with other disorders or conditions. Use the characteristics here to help discern if the lack of intimacy you are experiencing in your relationship or marriage is a direct result of intimacy anorexia. What makes this so complex is there are a lot of um, there are a lot of symptoms. There's a lot of if you are feeling this, then this. Yeah. That, and it it's basically a spirit of withholding and selfishness and self-centeredness and not sharing intimacy with your partner. And it shows up in so many different areas that each could be confused as its own addiction, but really the root of it is the intimacy anorexia. And that's why we want to spend so much time on it this season. Right. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, a lot of things, a lot of times addicts will talk about isolation uh, and how drawn to isolation we can be, um, you know, whatever our primary addiction is, you know, leads us to wanting to isolate. There's a lot of overlap between isolation and intimacy anorexia, right? Because I'm wanting to push away those closest to me because I don't want to be my true self or I'm afraid of sharing my feelings or I'm afraid that they're going to see me for who I really am. Uh, and so I want to, I want to create distance between me and those, those, those closest to me. Uh, and obviously the most important relationship would be with our spouse. So, and, and I've talked about this before, uh, Chris, you know, when my wife and I went to Colorado Springs to do uh, essay intensive with Dr. Weiss, um, we had spent a year of doing this, what I call organic recovery. And we were trying, you know, with a counselor and we were trying with CR and, uh, well, well, we weren't doing marriage counseling, but we were each doing individual counseling. 
Um, but you know, after five minutes with Dr. Weiss and him literally like diagnosing me with intimacy anorexia, that put our recovery and our, our marriage back on the right path. So I think let's, before we dive into the traits, um, here are our goals for season two. We are going to bring on 10 guests for season two to talk about these different areas. These guests could be um, brothers in recovery with specific testimonies. These could be experts or coaches in their individual fields. And we're going to introduce one monthly intimacy anorexia challenge. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I'm this one I'm pretty excited about. Uh, this is where I'm excited and scared. But, you know, when we take one of these characteristics, we're going to unpack it. Uh, we're going to talk about how we struggle with it. We're going to talk about the signs. We're going to talk about how important it is. And then we're going to give a bunch of different things that that each of us can try. And we're going to encourage you to try a couple things, you know, whether it's try one or two this week, try a couple different ones the next week, try a half a dozen of these. Obviously, don't try to do everything that we're going to suggest because nobody can bite off all that. But we're going to come up with as many ideas as we can to help you combat each of these 10 characteristics um, that are used. I mean, these are tactics that are used in when I'm active in my my intimacy anorexia. And we refer to, to um, when I'm withholding, we call it acting in. So as opposed to acting out in my primary addiction, we're talking about acting in, which is the withholding that I'm doing in intimacy anorexia. Awesome. Well, so why are we doing this? Why are we going to introduce a new challenge every month? Well, it's because we want to grow together. We want to, to, to challenge you to take your recovery to the next level, to maybe go a little bit deeper than you have gone in the past, to maybe try something new that you haven't tried before. And it's okay. You don't have to do this alone. Uh, John and I are going to be your virtual coaches through this whole process and the community that we are building through this podcast. Uh, we are available. We are going to be um, making resources available. And we're going to try out something new and try some local invites uh, to meet up for coffee or lunch. Yeah. If you're here in Orange County, pretty much anywhere in the county, um, uh, you know, we, we, we want to, to make that available. And, you know, I'll be honest, this has been primarily a, a celebrate recovery based show, but we want to pioneer some new areas of recovery here. Um, uh, Dr. Weiss's research is really on the cutting edge here with intimacy anorexia. And we want to, we want to dive deeper in here perhaps with the hope that this could be considered an area of recovery that we could use as a label um, in multiple programs like sex addiction or alcoholism. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I often introduce myself as struggling with intimacy anorexia. Uh, so, you know, um, my name is John. I'm a believer in recovery for sex addiction and I struggle with intimacy anorexia because I do. And um, I suppose an intention that we want to set here is to be innovators in recovery. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean like 
you know, innovation, I think, could have a very flashy kind of connotation to it. But innovation, and at least the way I understand it, is trying something new. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I know that there are a lot of people out there that are trying different recovery programs, working the steps, um, but they may be stuck. And really what they need or what I need sometimes is to look at things a little bit differently. Definitely. A different perspective helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris, I think these challenges are really about, you know, building the incremental habits that are going to help us live better lives, more intimate lives, more wholehearted lives. Uh, you know, I've been reading Atomic Habits. And uh, if you guys have read that book by James Clear, you know, it's it's just about making these small incremental gains um, and and improving my habits. Uh, and, and over time, the 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 change can be massive, uh, but it doesn't have to be all at once. And, and, and that's the mindset we're going to come at these challenges with is, you know, it might sound like, hey, you guys are giving me all this stuff, but it's like pick and choose the things that will work for you. Pick and choose the ones that are easiest for you to implement. Pick and choose the things where you're going to get some success and where you're going to get some momentum, and then you can build on that. So we want to be uh, transparent. This is not turning into an intimacy anorexia show. Right. This is still the recovery. This is still the recovery lifestyle podcast. But once we go over this overview of the next 10 months, I'm sure that you're going to identify with at least several of these. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if not all of them, like myself. So this is still staying recovery lifestyle. This is not morphing into an intimacy anorexia show, but we are going to stay focused on this topic be because you've asked for it and we're going to bring it to you. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and I think no matter what, my addiction is I think that these things are interwoven into my primary addiction. I know that they are for me. I know that for most sex addicts, there's an intimacy anorexic component. Um, and I think that particularly for men, they will resonate with a lot of these 10 characteristics. Want to go through them? And I know no matter where you are in your recovery, working on any one of these 10 um, is is going to uh, Im improve. I, I know that working on any of these 10 will improve my life and I hope it would improve yours as yeah, well. Yeah, I think that I think that it's almost a guarantee that if I get better at these, even incrementally, my relationships will improve. I want to avoid any false promises or like me saying that this will make your life better. The only thing that's going to make your life better is working the recovery lifestyle, showing up for meetings, doing Bible reading, getting in church, you know, getting into to, to service and turning over your life to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. These are just some specific areas to work on. I want to be clear that this is not a replacement for the for any of those lifestyle components. Yeah, I mean this is this is us trying to be practical as it relates to the recovery lifestyle where you know, oftentimes we say, you know, one of the tenets of recovery lifestyle is going to church and, and one of the tenets is reading your Bible. Now, there are times where both of those things give me 
practical advice and tips. But there's often times where they don't. Yeah. Uh, where it's it's vague or unclear or it's it's aspirational as opposed to very specific. And I think what what our goal is to bring some really specific things that you can try um, that will hopefully help you in your relationships. So let's uh, let's just jump right in. One what what are these 10? Yeah, let's go over these 10. I know some of you have heard these 10 before, but if you could just create put a mental checkbox in your mind, or you can literally just check a piece of paper or something in your phone and keep track of how many of these sound reasonably relevant. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the first one is busy. And uh, uh, I think that... This one is easy for everyone to say me too, too. Um, and, and this is where I'm staying so busy that I don't have time for my partner. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, if, if you've ever been sitting at your computer and going, well, let me just check one more email. Let me just check one more email while, you know, you're supposed to go home and meet your wife for dinner or you're upstairs uh, and your wife is downstairs and you guys are supposed to be hanging out together. Um, I say these, these ex- anecdotes because that's been me. Uh, and one of the things that I would advise is try to start being aware of when I'm doing these things. I think that's one of the most important things. The example on the website, um, you know, are, are just filling your day with the activities so that you would be exhausted and kind of fall asleep with no energy left and yeah. have this kind of like alibi as to why intimacy was not possible that yeah. day hey, but you know what i took the kids to sunday school i cleaned yeah. i cooked i did activities i we went to church we did all these things what are you talking about yeah. we did everything we're supposed to i'm at work all day trying to provide for our family and my work is hard and i'm trying to you know be ambitious in my career and get promoted and earn more money and and it, this is this is what it takes to do that right and then I have I'm I'm giving my wife leftovers, which may be very marginal. What about number two? Second one is blame. So this is about making things about my spouse instead of owning my issues. Uh, addicts are pretty familiar with this one. Uh, we're we're really good at playing the victim. We're really good at at not taking responsibility. Uh, I think another word for that is called denial. Uh, yeah. And we've talked a lot about that and, and we'll dig into into blame in the second month. Yeah. You know, a, a, an example of blame just for as an illustration is uh, like, you know, I wouldn't have watched porn if my wife had been more proactive about initiating sex. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. Such a lie. Right. <laughs> it totally it totally yeah. is. But we can we can talk ourselves into that kind of stuff. What about number three? Third one is love. And this is when I'm withholding love from my partner. And, and this might be a little bit more um, uh, abstract uh, because, you know, love is such a big word. Um, but this is, you know, when I'm intentionally being unloving. And, and that's one of the big things we didn't really mention, Chris, you know, about intimacy anorexia is there's an intentionality to this. I'm doing this withholding on purpose. Now, it doesn't always feel like that, you know, and I'll come up with a bunch of rationalizations and excuses as to why it's not intentional. No, I really love my wife, but I really am just super busy. Like, yeah, but if you're not, if I'm not making time for my wife, then I'm not making time for our relationship and our marriage. That's intentionality. Right. And I'll, you know, withholding love, I'll give you all an example is 
you know, my wife is definitely the planner in our home. And if I were to ever, if I ever make like a date plan and I find a babysitter and I go out of my way to try and plan something, she receives it so well, like it was such an act of love. But my default is actually to not do that and rationalize it. Well, she's better at it. And if she really wanted to go out with me, she would do those things. And then we end up in this sort of like, or like I, you know, I know that she loves when I open the door, the car door for her, but like, I just won't do it sometimes. Yeah. And it, what does it take an extra five seconds of effort? Yeah. You know, and it's free. It's not like it costs you anything. No. And so I, you know, if I'm mad at her, I will specifically like stop doing things that I know she will feel loved by. Yeah. Just kind of subtly. And so that's withholding love. What yeah. about number four? Uh, this one is similar in terms of, you know, it doesn't cost me anything. It's it's withholding praise or appreciation from my partner. You know, we, we know that words of affirmation uh, is a love language and it's high on a lot of women's list. Uh, and they, they just want to hear us tell them how much we appreciate what they're doing for us, um, how much we love them. You know, they, they just want to feel support and love and secure. And those words don't cost me anything. But how often do I not give them away when I could? Oh, it's so much easier to criticize. Yeah. Amen. But, you know, here's the here's the opposite of that is whatever gets rewarded gets repeated. Yeah. And so um, if all you're, you know, what if all you're giving your spouse is negative feedback, you know, they're going to start looking for um, they're going to start looking for affirmation in other areas of their life. Mm -hmm. And that's how affairs happen. You affairs, know, addictions to other things like your phone or social media. Remember or this, shopping. you also get more of what you give. Mm -hmm. And so if you start praising your spouse eventually they're going to start praising you. And then now you're creating a positive feedback cycle. And just so you know, the reverse is true. Right. Is if you start criticizing them, they will criticize you. Amen. Okay. Number five is, is sex withholding sex from uh, my spouse. And, and this one is pretty obvious. You know, if I'm spending time looking at porn, uh, if I'm spending time fantasizing or masturbating or, uh, you know, having emotional affairs or even physical affairs, obviously that is withholding sex from my wife. And, you know, that's probably the most intimate act uh, that we have that God has given us to, to bond with our spouse, right? The two shall become one flesh. And uh, if I'm doing anything that, that interferes with that, that's really corrosive to the relationship. Well, and it's interesting that it's not just about not having sex. It's also withholding intimacy during mm -hmm. the act. Like, I'll be honest, like in the past, my thoughts used to go toward the images that I was also seeing on screen Yeah, when I'm in the act of sex with my wife. That means I'm not there. Yeah. I'm not physically there. And uh, that is withholding sexual intimacy. Yeah, yeah, very, very damaging. And, and you know, the, the sort of the extreme of this is when I've spent so much time either looking at porn or just masturbating that, you know, I can't even get aroused by my wife. 
uh, and now I can't perform sexually, uh, and that really puts a wedge in our in our relationship. And then it's very easy at that point to go into blame, mm-hmm. and then you know these these areas will also, you know, definitely work off of each other. What definitely. about number six? Number six is withholding spiritually. So uh, you know, for for me, this looks like praying with and for my wife. Uh, I, I suppose it can be going to church, it's being the spiritual leader of our family. And um, yeah, this is one I've been struggling with a lot lately where, you know, I know my wife and I should read a devotional before bed and we should pray. Uh, and and a lot of times I just feel like, oh, I'm just too tired and, and I don't do it. That's active withholding uh, of spiritual intimacy from my wife. Here's an interesting thing from the website is that um, they said intimacy anorexics can be very religious or even be a spiritual leader, Mm. but they rarely connect spiritually at home. Wow. Um, Doug Y says he's had clients that were even spiritual leaders, pastors, rabbis, and medicine men that didn't connect spiritually with their spouse. Withholding spiritually is withholding spiritual connectedness from your spouse. This means regardless of faith practices or lack thereof, there's no real spiritual connecting behavior with the spouse. The anorexic may be religious to the hilt, but lacks spiritual authenticity in the presence of their spouse. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) You can be out there in the world, the most spiritual person, but when you're back at home, there's just this like block, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the most intimate relationship that I'm supposed to have outside of the relationship with God. And, and also, I mean, you know, that's where my first ministry is. So if, if, if my outside ministry is taking away from my home ministry, that's a problem. Yeah. Your, your, uh, your priorities are out of order. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Number seven all is an inability to share feelings. Yeah. I, I, I like unwillingness or inability. And, and I think, um, <laughs> the inability is important, and we've talked about this before because, you know, uh, men in particular are not great at expressing their feelings. Nobody taught us how to do this in most of our families of origin. I mean, there may be some guys that did learn this well, um, but, I, but but the most of the guys that I've met in recovery struggle with this. Um, you know, first identifying their feelings, being able to label my feelings, and then going the extra part and being able to share those with my wife. Um, This is an important skill to practice. Uh, And we'll talk about, you know, feelings exercises and really getting familiar with these feelings words so that I can articulate what's happening inside of me. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, I was in a household several different kinds of households where I I was very emotional and I tried expressing my feelings sometimes and um, family members would say, oh, you know, you must be gay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of shame that can be. Excuse me. You you, you think I'm gay because I'm trying to express my feelings? Yeah. Um, You know, I've actually learned that, you know, um, expressing feelings is like, it's just part of, it takes a strong person to have strong emotions. Right. It's actually a sign of weakness to not be able to express feelings. Isn't that interesting? It is. And, and, and you know, we, we, we're taught the opposite of, you know, you be stoic and suck it up and, you know, just 
muscle through, right? Especially as guys. And um, I'm not quite. I'm not judging anybody's sexuality. I want to be clear about that. It's just that my family specifically had a hard time accepting that I was emotional. Well, and the big thing is, you know, if you're emotional, then you're weak. Yeah. And and that's that's just not not it's just not true. And like you said, I mean, it takes a strong man to be able to be vulnerable about his feelings. And um, and I'll tell you what, that's authentic. And that's super attractive. Now, don't use this as a weapon to go, you know, attract other women that aren't no, your wife. No, use it with your wife. You know, real intimacy. If you can truly bear your heart in front of your spouse, you know, if there's any woman listening, you know, this applies to you, to your husband. It, 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 it should be something that brings you closer together. That's it right. really should. And yeah. if it's not, then something to definitely explore but let's let's move on yep number eight is criticism so this is ongoing or ungrounded criticism that that pushes my my why my my wife away from me and you know chris you already kind of touched on this when we talked about praise i mean obviously this is the kind of the opposite of praise and when i'm being critical whether it's justified or not uh it just doesn't help there's there's no good that comes from being critical because it's shaming uh, and and it, it it makes my wife feel less than yeah and then she doesn't want to engage with me I mean why would anyone want to be around me when I'm being critical oh that's the point I'm being critical so she won't want to be around me that's intentionally trying to push her away yeah for for me it's um if I'm angry at someone else in my life or like reliving a trauma or I'm feeling discomfortable. Uh, criticism is a way for me to inflict that pain onto my spouse mm-hmm. so that I've now transferred the pain onto this person. And it's been a really vicious cycle in terms of criticism because it just tears down everything around me. Yeah. It really does. Yep. Yeah. Number nine is anger or silence. This is, this is when I use anger um, whether it's aggressive anger or passive aggressive to again, introduce shame, introduce guilt, push my wife away. Um, you know, <clears throat> it's okay to be mad, uh, because there are things that will make us mad, but to take things out on our wife, like in the example that Chris was just using, where it's this sort of this transference of my anger, that's not healthy for my relationship. Yeah, you know, and and they talk about silence and silence can be very manipulative. Mm -hmm. And if you are giving someone the silent treatment to try and teach them a lesson, it's very, very controlling and very manipulative. As a recovering narcissist myself, I used this tactic frequently to keep the other person in a constant sense of fear as to what my next move would be. Wow, I can't believe I'm publicly sharing this. Yeah. But you know, um, it is a horrible behavior that needed to stop. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's not good because it's rooted in control and, and manipulation, me trying to control the behavior of another person. Now, where silence is good is if you really are genuinely upset and, and you want to refrain from from hurting another the other person by like 
not, you know, wanting to remove yourself from the situation to go take a walk or like, Hey, I just need, I just like need a night to sleep on it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's silence in a healthy way. Sure. Yeah. Silence in a negative way that I think is being, that's is when it's used to control. Yeah. This is, you know, James one nine, I think it is right. Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Yeah. If I do those things, especially if I'm, I'm quick to listen and slow to speak, I should be slower to get angry. Um, so, so there's, there's, there's holding my tongue, but there's, you know, you know, letting you know how mad I am because I'm giving you the silent treatment. That doesn't work. So you may be hearing some of these and you're saying, oh man, yeah, I, I really struggle with this. Like, thanks John and Chris for telling me how much, how much I suck. (laughs) It's okay. We're going to be going through each one of these and, and we're going to be diving deep with um, some solutions you can integrate, some challenges, some ways to, some antidotes, some ways to combat these things. You know, this is not going to be an easy process. Um, so we are going to go in order, 1 mm-hmm. through 10. So if you are struggling in any of these other areas, feel free to bring them up in your recovery groups or at church or with accountability partners or journal or research these topics but we're going to hit one at a time. And as we go through all 10 of these over the next 10 months, they will all sort of work together. And ideally, um, there's some transformation that happens. Yeah, I think so. The last one's money. Um, and, and this is kind of like a specific uh, strain of criticism, I think, where I'm controlling or shaming my partner with money issues. Obviously, money is a is is a big deal in marital relationships uh and uh i know for me um controlling the money you know not talking to my wife about money but then you know i can spend money on a bike but you know if she buys something for herself or the kids i'm going to give her grief about it uh that that that's not healthy um and you know we we need to sort of remove the power of money in our relationship by by being transparent about it you know by talking about it by having a spending plan um, by being able to to be on the same page I'll, I'll i'll give you an example of how money was used against me and in, in my relationship is um, my wife kept separate accounts with her mom as a co-signer and it wasn't my wife that used money to shame me. It was her mom that would look at our expenses and shame us together and say, why did you buy, why did you spend $20 at Burger King? You should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. And, and it was a method of control. And in this case, it wasn't like, it wasn't my spouse. It was actually her mother, but because they had joint bank accounts, it was like having a third spouse. Yeah. If that makes sense. And the way that we practice recovery in this area was, okay, we're going to get joint accounts together, close those accounts. We're going to do financial peace university and we're going to break some of these strongholds. So being on the receiving end of this money one is, is, is awful. And anybody that's listening, that's experienced that. Um, Or if you're like myself where I have used money to control others, it's, um, it's really bad when it's present. It's not good. Yeah. So one of the things that um, you'll hear us talk about a lot uh, over the course of these 10 months 
uh, especially as sort of antidotes to intimacy anorexia, is um, is uh, Brene Brown. So there is um, there's one. Um, it's not necessarily a characteristic, Uh-oh, but it's, it's here. It's here on the, the the website. And if you feel this way, chances are you're an intimacy anorexia. If you and your spouse feel like you're roommates rather than spouses, you know you might yeah, be soulmates. suffering from intimacy anorexia. Yeah, yeah totally. And it, it's because there's that connection is 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 missing. So no, I'm glad you brought that up because that is that that that's probably like the shorthand way to get to this. Right? Is like, let me look at my marriage. Do I feel like we're more we're closer to being roommates or soulmates? And 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 if we're tipping towards roommates then I think that these next 10 months are really going to be powerful. They're really going to help. These 10 characteristics are really going to open people's eyes. I know they open my eyes. They continue to open my eyes because I see areas in each of them where I still continue to struggle. Now, each one of these challenges um, is going to be one month of sobriety in each one of these characteristics of intimacy anorexia. And we're going to We probably will all need to have some sliding scales of what that looks like Mm -hmm. based on what's reasonable for you. Yeah, season of life and and all that, right? Right, because you may be like, you may legitimately be in a very busy season. And like, you know, your definition of of sobriety here could be like setting intentional date nights once or twice a month with and having that in the calendar so that even if you are really busy, you can, you can still put some time in your calendar to, to because you know if you if you if you're not spending time together it's very hard to do this kind of work yeah i think you know our intent is to give you a bunch of ideas uh and 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 you pick and choose from those and you set the bar where it needs to be you know we encourage you to stretch a little but but don't make it delusional so like if if you're a young couple with young kids and you're both working uh, a date night every week is probably unrealistic Um, but maybe you can do a date night at home once and a date night out once a month right Uh, maybe you can you know schedule 10 minutes after the kids are in bed just to turn off your devices and and talk Uh, it's, it's about recognizing where you are and just trying to implement just little pieces of this to, to build some momentum. Um, should we go? Should we go straight into the format of how this is going to go down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's four weeks in a month in most months, four Tuesdays where we do our taping, and um, our, our plan is, you know, the first week we'll unpack the the characteristic that we're talking about. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about busyness. We'll talk about our experiences, we'll talk about our struggles, and we'll give you a bunch of tips, advice, things that we've learned, things that we've tried, things that have worked for us, things that haven't worked for us, uh, things that we want to try um, to, to, to challenge you to see if you can become less busy or become less of what the trade is that's, that's working towards pushing your spouse away so that you guys can move closer together. So that would be the first week. The second week, 
you know, our intent is to bring in somebody to talk about it, whether it's like Chris said, one of our brothers uh, or um, someone who's an expert in this area, just, just another perspective. Cause you know, sometimes Chris and I don't have all the answers. Uh, and then the third week of the month, we might dig a little deeper, do an update, or we'll do an alternate topic so we can weave in some of our standard recovery lifestyle stuff. Things come up all the time that we want to talk about uh, in the recovery lifestyle. Uh, so that, that third week will be a good week for that. And then the last week of the month, we'll talk about how we, how we felt we did. And we'd love to get your guys' input for that fourth week. To, to tell us, you know, what you tried, what worked for you, what didn't work for you, uh, what, if anything, you've learned, what you want to keep doing, what, you, what, what you're going to throw out, what you want to increment to. Um, this is, this is the, the learning process, the growth process that we talked about. So that's, that's it. This is season two, and we are very, very excited to go on this journey with you. John and I are excited to be your coaches. We're excited to challenge and to grow and we're not just going to be preaching here and, and having everybody else grow except us. We're going to be right there with you doing these progress reports, checking in, seeing what we've learned. Even if we massively fail at these things, we're going to let you know that. Um, and we're, we're really excited uh, because there, there is no perfect in recovery. There is progress. There is not perfection. And going into this I just want to let people know one more time that um, there this will be a sliding scale of sobriety. There's no uh, there will be no strict standards here. If in the in the category of sexual addiction, if we're talking about that, we do have a strict standard. We have a strict standard for alcohol. Like, did you drink or did you not drink? Did right. you masturbate or did you not masturbate? There's there's some things that are very black and white, but um, a lot of these will be. Um, we want to choose new behaviors and 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 to and to challenge each other uh, to grow in that area. Do you want to uh, pray us out? Uh, you want to do an open chair? For Let's me? do it. Hey, you guys. My name is John. I'm a follower of Jesus in recovery for sex addiction, struggle with intimacy anorexia. John. Hey, you guys. You know, I think uh, Chris just hit on the reason why intimacy anorexia is such a beast is that there really is no black and white definition for sobriety from intimacy anorexia. Uh, it, it, it's really gray. Um, but I know when I'm withholding from my wife. Uh, and, and I know that in each of these 10 areas that I can do better. Um, so I'm really eager for this challenge um, because I really want to I want to take my recovery to the next level. I want to take my marriage to the next level. You know, it's very easy to plateau in recovery, especially if you've been in recovery for a long time. Um, it's it, it can be tempting to sort of be like, oh, I've, I've got this. And you know what? I don't have this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm just as susceptible to making poor decisions as I was when I started recovery, and especially in the area of intimacy anorexia, where it's so easy for me to fall into um, isolation and distancing because I just don't want to be vulnerable. Thanks, guys. I'm John. Thanks, John. Hey, guys, Chris, grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm an adult child of family dysfunction in recovery for alcohol, sex, porn, money, and codependency. Hey, Chris. Uh, You know, I've got here on my laptop desktop 
um, this image. I'll just show John. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Romans mm-hmm. twelve two. And I think it's, I think it's very easy for me to conform uh, to the pattern of the world if I if I don't continue to practice the recovery lifestyle. And I think this next ten months is um, choosing a different pattern, choosing. Um, choosing the renewal of the mind, um, you know, applying biblical principles to my life and legitimately seeking um, additional recovery every single day. Even when I think I've got it, it's just not true. I do not have it. Um, And uh, this is a new, this is a, this is a, I mean, just, it's a bit overwhelming to, to think of all of this growth that we're about to experience. But I know on the other end of it, um, I'm going to be better because of it. I know a lot of our listeners will. And I really hope John <laughs> gets something out of it also. Yeah, <laughs> and I need it. <laughs> Thanks. All right, that's it. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this platform and, and these listeners and just this this structure that we've come up with for season two, I I, I, um, I just pray that you help us, each of us, take whatever that next step is that we need to take in faith to move our recovery forward, to become more vulnerable, to become closer to our wives, to become the men that you've made us to be. These 10 characteristics hold us back from being all you made us to be. So Father, I just pray that you help us and you guide us, that you give us strength, that you give us wisdom, and that we give you the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you made it this far in the episode. I'd like to congratulate you. Because to me, that shows that you're taking your recovery seriously. If you'd like to reach out, please visit recoverylifestyle.com. You can use the contact form to submit a prayer request, give us ideas for future episodes, or simply to just share what's on your mind. We would love to hear from you. If you really are enjoying the show, what would mean a lot is if you could subscribe and leave a review. That will help more people find the Recovery Lifestyle Podcast.